Let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We continue in our series uh, in Genesis, and we've been looking at the life of Jacob. And today we see Jacob returning to the Promised Land. So we have selected verses from Genesis 32 and 33. Jacob went on his way, and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. 
And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booze for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Abba, Father, the story we have just read is a familiar story to many of us, but the story of our own personal wrestling with you with you is one that we maybe even want to hide from ourselves, much let others see it. Pray that your spirit would help us to be honest in our wrestling with you. Before Jacob prayed, he prayed to the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. He prayed to the God of his grandfather and father. Through his wrestling, he came to know you face to face. Father, I pray for the children and grandchildren that are here today, whatever their age. I pray for the mighty working of your spirit that they may come to know you, not as the Savior and Lord of their grandparents or their parents, but as their own personal Savior and Lord. Because you have revealed yourself to us as a covenant-keeping God, we are confident as we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen and amen. Please be seated. In 1984, Michael Buffer made five words famous. And those words were so popular that he had them trademarked, and he's made about $400 million off of that trademark. And he first used the words as the ring announcer at a boxing match. 
He has also belted out those words at the opening of the World Series and the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals and the Indianapolis 500. And he has said those five words on Saturday Night Live and Jeopardy and Dancing with the Stars and The Simpsons and in the movie Rocky V and in the movie You Don't Mess with the Zohan. And Donald Trump used to demand that Michael would be the one who would say these five words at every boxing match in one of his casinos. Big words before a big event. Do you know what they are? Let's get ready to rumble. Or it would kind of go, let's get ready to rumble, like that. Those words are certainly fitting for our story today. For in our story today, Jacob is going to meet his brother, after all these years, Esau. Well, let's get ready to rumble. But as confrontational as that meeting might be, it was nothing in comparison to another meeting that took place in this story. Jacob meets with God. Jacob wrestles with God. That's really getting ready to rumble. Have you ever done that? Have you ever wrestled with God? Or maybe more significantly, has God ever wrestled with you? You've experienced that, haven't you? Maybe some of you are still in that. You're in the process. Going through that now. We do that. And it's not a small thing, is it? To be wrestling with God. Well, we're going to think about that this morning as we look at the story. We're going to look at the next episode in Jacob's life. Turn to Genesis 32. This is one of those passages. You read it, and it just seems so important that you really feel like you need to get it. And then you read it, and you go, I'm not sure I really get it. It's just, I'm not sure that I get it, but I know that it's important somehow. So hopefully, our explanation of this story will be helpful, but also... Hopefully, it will still preserve some of the mystery that is intended here. So, again today, the text, the full text is very long. We just read a section of it. But I think we found that to be the case in all of these uh, stories. All of the Jacob stories are long. They all take up about eight long chapters. However, if you want the really streamlined version, then the prophet Hosea summarizes... Jacob's whole life in one sentence. Hosea 12, 3. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. There was Jacob's life. So this morning, we continue the story of Jacob, this heel-grabbing striver. So Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him, 
And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now remember the context. Jacob left his family home, Canaan. He, was, he left because he was escaping from his brother Esau. He travels to Syria, to the land of Padan Aram. He meets up with Laban. He marries two of Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah. He stays there for 20 years. They have lots of children, just like God promised. They get very rich. They are very blessed, just as God promised. And then Jacob decides to go back home. Actually, the Lord calls him back home, back to his land, back to the land of promise. And then he skips out of town, like the Browns leaving Cleveland. And Laban chases after him. And then they come to this arrangement, they come to this agreement, this truce, and they, and they draw a line, they draw a boundary and say, okay, you go there and you go here. And then they go their separate ways. And then we come to chapter 32, the opening of chapter 32. Jacob is ready to go back and enter into the land of Canaan. And once again, just as when he left 20 years ago, now again he is visited by angels. Remember when he left, he was visited by angels at Bethel. Now he's going back, and again he's visited by angels. And, and Jacob said, this place is God's camp, and Jacob named it Mahanaim which means two camps. So turn to your notes, and you'll notice that I have structured the outline this morning around those two camps. So point number one, in fact, we have these fill-in-the-blanks, but let me give you, kids, I'm going to give you all the fill-in-the-blanks at one time, okay? Are you ready? So point number one is camp fear. Camp fear. Point number two is camp blessing. So camp fear, camp blessing. But in between those two things, in between those two parts of our passage, something happens, and that is the wrestling match. The wrestling match. So camp fear, the wrestling match, and then camp blessing. Let me give you the summary of this whole long story. This is, this is where we're headed. Again, this is in your notes also. Here's the summary. Before God sent Jacob back to the promised land and back to a broken relationship, God wrestled him, broke him, renamed him, blessed him, and delivered him so that Jacob could now face his fear, but not only that, offer a blessing. Did you get all that? That kind of captures it all. Now, here is a summary of the application for us. God wants to wrestle with us and form us into his people. God wants to wrestle with us and form us into his people. So that's where we're going this morning. Point number one, camp fear. Camp fear. How many of you kids have gone or are going camping this summer for your vacation? Any of you going camping? Anybody? Oh, a few of you? Okay. 
All right, yeah, some of you are going camping. So a lot, that's a lot of what we do during the summer. I've done a lot of camping in my life. And something about camping is camping, you kind of just get away from everything, and you kind of get into your own world. Camping is kind of its own world. It, it, you kind of just get caught up in it, don't you? I mean, everything is, else is out there going on, but there you are out there in the elements and with the, the bugs and mosquitoes and the lizards and the water and the rustling of the trees and, and all of that. You're just, you're just, it takes you over. Have you ever pitched your tent at Camp Fear? Camp Fear. Well, fear, fear has its own environment, doesn't it? Fear is its, fear is its own world. When, when we are afraid, when we are fearful, it, it can surround us. It can, it can envelop us. It can just kind of take over our life. And everything else is kind of going on out there, but we are, there we are in our fear. That's where Jacob was here in the story. In verse 7 it says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Why? Why was he afraid? Because he was trapped. Think of his situation. He had behind him an upset father-in-law, right? We saw that last week. And in front of him, he is going to meet his brother Jacob. And there he is in the middle. So in our story today, the focus is on that situation that he is going to be walking into. His brother Esau is there in front of him. Now remember, 20 years before, Jacob ran away from Esau because he cheated him out of his inheritance. So he cheats him and then he skips out, he gets out of town. And then that's it. That's the last that we know. And now, Jacob finds out, as he is returning home, that Esau is coming out to meet him. So he's leaving Padam Aram, and he is headed back to Canaan. And now here's Esau coming out to meet him with 400 men. Probably not a welcoming party. It seems that Jacob is walking into a very tense and probably a very dangerous situation, and he is greatly afraid and distressed. So there is the fear. And then there's simply the unknown. What is going to happen? But then there's also the guilt that he has. And the regret and the shame and the, and the brokenness that's taken place. Because he's the one who created all of this. And so that's what he's walking into. Camp fear. It can trap you. It can, it can distract you in your life, can't it? It can confuse you. So there you are in the middle of life doing what you're supposed to be doing. And yet, and yet fear, it, it grips you. And it can paralyze you so that you're not effective and you're not productive. And, and we've all been there, haven't we? Or maybe you are, where you've just got something going on and it's like that's your, that's your focus. 
But here, for Jacob, the Lord knows that. He knows that. And he sends angels. He sends one more reminder of when he sent the angels at Bethel. And when he said to Jacob these words, also words for us, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. In our fear, we need to hear God's word to us, don't we? So Jacob named this place Mahanaim, which is two camps. And now, he names it that. I mean, not just because he himself had two camps, as it mentions in verse 7, that there are two camps, but it's not, I don't think it's that as much. But the visitation of the angels made Jacob aware that there was another camp besides just his camp of people. There was another camp. There was, as he saw those angels, there was a heavenly camp. That is to say, he will not face his struggles alone. He will not be left to himself. He will not be left with his own trickery and his own scheming and his own deceit and his own strengths and his own strategies. He will not be left to that. But there is a camp of God, a camp of God's blessing that will come down and attend him. We'll get to that camp in just a minute. So Jacob, he does two things. In his fear of Esau, he does two things. The first thing that he does is he seeks to appease his brother. Or maybe this is like even a bribe. Or maybe this is a little I'm sorry gift. A little gift to the tune of 550 animals plus a bunch of servants. Now, I just imagine that, okay? That's the gift. 550 animals. Now, you know those big cattle trucks? Well, they have about, they can hold about 50 or 60 cattle, right? Big old trucks. 550 animals are headed Esau's way. So that's the first thing that he does. He, he tries to appease his brother. But what is the, what's, what's the second thing? that Jacob does in his fear. Verse 9, what is it? What's he do? What's, what else does he do? Verse 9. Praise. He prays. Jacob doesn't do everything wrong, okay? Here he prays. And this is a model prayer. In verse 9, he addresses God. Oh, God of my father Abraham, Oh, God of my father Isaac, he makes his address to God, acknowledging him as God. Then in verse 10, after addressing God in verse 10, he confesses his weakness. He confesses his need for prayer. He gives praise to the attributes of God. So in verse 10, he says, I am not worthy of your steadfast love and faithfulness. So he addresses God. He confesses his weakness and praises God's attributes. In verse 11 then, he offers his petition. 
acknowledging his fear. Please deliver me from Esau, for I fear him. Verse 11. Here's my petition. I'm afraid. Then in verse 12, he lifts up the promises to God that God has already made. He takes God's word and he brings it back to God and he lifts it up to him. And in verse 12, he says, But you said, Lord, you said, I will surely do you good. I'm just, I'm just saying what you said. Charles Spurgeon writes, If you have a divine promise, you needn't plead it with an if. You may urge it with certainty. The Lord meant to fulfill the promise or he would not have given it. Lay hold of God's word in your prayers. Don't pretend that you are not afraid and just try to tough it out in your own strategies. But bring your fear, whatever it is, before the God who has made promises to his people. As we consider the two camps that are in this story, the, the camp of man, camp fear, the earthly things, and the camp of God, the camp of heaven, the camp of blessings. As we consider those two camps, these two camps cannot be separated. In fact, in our story, those two camps come together. They intersect in, in the middle of this story. So now, after point one, now we come to the middle part. This is the wrestling match. And this has to be one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. So as Jacob and his family are heading back home, back to the border of Canaan, he sends all of his family and all of his servants and all of his animals and everything, he sends them across the Jabbok River, so they're getting close to the, to the border of Canaan now. He sends him across, and then he is left alone. There he is alone. And there he is. Imagine it. Okay, now he's all by himself, and he knows, what, he knows what's ahead of him. So he's thinking about that, that huge confrontation that he is going to have with Esau. And there he is sitting, him, sitting there by himself getting ready to rumble, and he's just, you know how it goes, and when, when you're entering into a situation, you just kind of imagine it, and so he's just kind of running through these scenarios in his mind, and he's kind of, kind of worrying and kind of fretting and trying to, trying to put a pot, maybe it'll go this way, and maybe it'll go that way, and you know, maybe the angels will still be there, and maybe this will be okay, and so he's, he's, he's in that mode, right? You know how it is when you're, something's coming up and you're fearful, so he's there. But even, even looking toward that confrontation, he has no idea as he's sitting there that there's another huge confrontation that's going to take place first before that ever happens. You see, Jacob is not ready to go back home. He is not ready to face a broken relationship. He is not ready to rumble. He's not ready. 
So there he is, by himself, going through all of this. And out of nowhere, it's like, it's like night, out of nowhere, he's tackled. I mean, he's just sitting there. I mean, you know, maybe he's out in, the, in a, like a wilderness by himself. And all, is anybody else even around? And all of a sudden, some guy tackles him, throws him to the ground in the middle of the night, and starts wrestling with him, and he has to, has to defend himself. And, 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 and the wrestling match, it just keeps going on and on. Now, Chris and I don't watch too many action movies together. And the reason for that is because she thinks that the fight scenes are too long and drawn out. And, and if we watch it, if we watch it, well, let's fast forward through all of this, okay? When if they're just, you know, they're going back and forth. And by the way, for you people who like fight scenes, Star Wars 3, Vader versus Skywalker, that's the longest that there ever was. 12 minutes of screen time going back and forth and back and forth. And that's what we have. Imagine that. That's 12 minutes on movie time. All night long, they are wrestling, going at it. Well, at first, you know, he's, he's tackled, maybe blindsided, who knows. At first, it's kind of a mystery as to who his opponent is. But somewhere along the line, Jacob figures it out. And he figures out that he is doing these takedowns and breakdowns and reversals and cradles and grapevines and headlocks. That he's doing all of those wrestling moves. He's doing them all with God. He's doing them with God. And God started it. God started it. God picked the fight. And then, when God isn't winning, and how can that be? Maybe God was just wrestling like a man. But then when he's not winning, what's God do? He pulls the God card. The first pulling of the God card. And he touches Jacob's hip socket, and he puts it out of joint, so the match is over. Well, not quite. God wanted it to be over because it was getting to be daylight, and no explanation as to that, but maybe it's because God did not want to be seen in the daylight. Anyway, God wants it to be over, but Jacob, the striver, he would not let go in his pain and in his weakness and in his fear and in his desperation. He would not let go until God blessed him. He would not let go until God blessed him. Somehow, Jacob got it. Somehow, in all of Jacob's deceit and trickery and, and lies and schemes and all of that, somehow here, here on this occasion, Jacob grasped the difference between himself and God. 
the difference between the two camps, God and man. And he realized he genuinely needed the Lord. He got it. He got the truth of Zechariah 4.6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Alan Ross writes, The heel grabber was crippled and had to identify his true nature, deceiver, before he could be blessed. He had to see his need, and he did. In not letting go of God, Jacob let go of himself. In not letting go of God, Jacob understood that God had always been holding on to him. Through all that he went through, God had always been there. Through all of his clever schemes and all of that, God had always been there. And so now, Jacob, the heel-grabbing deceiver, becomes, new name, Israel. The one striving with God. Or, or maybe better yet, God strives. God wrestles with Jacob. Imagine that. God and Jacob, arms and legs all wrapped up around each other, intertwined, fighting, panting, sweating. God's love has Jacob in a headlock. You can't get much closer to God than that. Unless God is in you. So when the match is over, Jacob names the place Peniel, which means God's face. Verse 30. Jacob, panting, sweaty, sits back and reflects on this all-night fight. And he says, I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. That's the great love of God to us. In love, he wrestles us, he breaks us, he renames us, he blesses us. He is face to face with us and he delivers us. And Jacob was amazed that he was delivered and we should be amazed too, shouldn't we? How can any sinner be face-to-face -face with God? How can any sinner be in close contact, face-to-face -face with a holy God and not be crushed? He could have crushed us, but he didn't. Instead, in love, he did what? He crushed Jesus. You see, all of the wrestling, all of the wrestling that has ever taken place between man and God, all of the wrestling that has ever taken place between sin and the holy, all the wrestling that has ever taken place between earth and heaven came down to one ultimate 
wrestling match that came down to one ultimate defeat, death on a cross. And it came down to one ultimate victory, resurrection from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, bringing forgiveness. God and sinners reconciled. Maha name. So the two camps can come together now. But not only can they come together, they must come together. They must come together. So after the breaking and the renaming and the blessing and the delivering, after the wrestling match with God through Jesus, we are now ready. Ready for what? Point number two, camp blessing. Camp blessing. So Jacob limps off to meet Esau. And now finally, Jacob's ready. He's ready. He couldn't wrestle with Esau until he wrestled with God. You see that? You can't handle the world's brokenness until God breaks you. You can't bring reconciliation and blessing until through Jesus you are reconciled by God and you are blessed by God. You see that? We can't handle the world until we have handled or been handled by God. In chapter 33, then, Jacob now faces his fear of Esau. Look at verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Uh, not quite what Jacob expected. What about the 400 men? Is Jacob changed here? Well, maybe. Certainly not completely, kind of like us. But God is doing his work through Jacob, kind of like God does his work through us, even though we're not completely changed. In verse 11, look at this. Here's what Jacob says. This is so significant. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. Jacob is being formed by God to take on this covenant role of being a blesser to all of the families of the earth, right? Now he can do it. That's what we're called to do. And one more thing. Verse 10, Jacob says to Esau, he says to Esau, I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. Interesting. What a description that is of these two camps intersecting. Now that Jacob has seen God's face, 
Now that Jacob has been reconciled to God, now Jacob can look into the face of his fellow man, Esau, and be reconciled to him. Speaking of soccer, we're all thinking about soccer, aren't we? We're all thinking about soccer. Uh, A couple of months ago, Michael Buffer, he was getting ready to do his Let's Get Ready to Rumble introduction, and he was doing it in the football game between Chelsea and Liverpool, Premier League game, and there he stood before thousands of people, and he was all dressed up, suit and tie, pressed, looked great, every every. His hair, you know, every, every hair was in place. He was perfect. And just as he was getting the, doing the introduction, the let's get ready to rumble thing, the sprinklers come on. And he's, he's drenched in front of thousands of people. You know, I, I think it's kind of a picture of the church in the world. Isn't that kind of a picture of, of me as a Christian and you as a Christian in, in, the, in the worlds that we are in and that we enter into? We would like to look so good. We would like to be so impressive. We'd like to look like we have it all together and we know what we're doing. But instead, we come drenched. We come sweaty. We come limping and weak and broken and unsure of ourselves. And we come to the world with with all of our baggage, all of our stuff, all of our our history of mistakes and sins and stupid things. and, And we come to the world looking like that, like we've wrestled all night. And there we are, pathetic looking. But we come to a world that looks the same way. They look the same way. They don't want to see us as impressive. They want to see us looking like them. But the difference is that we come in our weakness and we offer the strength of the Lord because we have experienced it. We've wrestled it through. We come and we offer his love. We offer his forgiveness. And we don't offer a God who stays up there in heaven somewhere at a distance. But we offer a God who comes down close. Wrestling match close. And he gives the blessing of salvation to anyone who believes. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see that we need your blessing this morning. I don't care who we are. We we need you. Please, Lord, don't leave us to ourselves. Come and do whatever you need to do to make us yours. We will not let go until you bless us. We need you. 
And we need you holding on to us. And we need to know that you've been holding on to us all along. May your name be praised. Amen.